everybody, welcome to another episode of a serious business podcast. We got Sam Codwell, not Codwell, Sam Codwell uh, from Winterberry Studios. Um, we actually recorded the episode a little, we, we tried to up, uh, record it before, but we had some technical difficulties. Thankfully, all those things are now uh, figured out. Sam, how are you doing? Doing good. Definitely. I have solid internet. <laughs> It's a Good nightmare for at least a week and a half. Yeah. Hell yeah. So tell us about 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 yourself, about what you do, and why why I think you're interesting, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I own a video game dev company. Uh, we're located in Colorado. It's just a small company. There's just seven of us. We've been a company in November. It'll be our sixth year going. So... Uh, yeah, I mostly do all the animation and uh, rigging and stuff like that in the game. But um, yeah, uh, Winter Bear Studio, we've uh, been working together for many years before we were actually a company. Um, we all worked at the same company before, and that company went bankrupt all of a sudden. So we all found ourselves out of the job at the same exact time. So we decided to kind of combine forces and do our own thing. It's been mm -hmm. going pretty well so far. That's it. You guys like decide on like on how to approach it and just take out a loan or was it like personal uh, money that was spent? Uh, yeah, that was one of the fortunate things out of this whole bankruptcy. Cause this original company we all worked for, they were located in California. Um, so as we were, you know, closing down the place we hit them up we're like okay so all these office desks and chairs and computers and stuff how do you guys <laughs> want to arrange us sending them back to california they got back to us and they're like you know it's going to cost us more to have that shipped to california so <clears throat> have that so we got kind of like a good startup seed of you know 10 computers That's sick. and you know office stuff yeah definitely and obviously, but, all the software is still on the PC. So, like, all those expensive uh, apps that you guys use are basically already on there. Yeah. And this was, like, you know, back in 2015. So, right before all the subscri subscription-based plans started up. So, <laughs> we actually still have software that we can use. It's getting old, but it still works. <laughs> awesome. But yeah. So, I mean, out the gate, it, it was kind of tough. It's kind of hard to just start your own video game company without some seed funding or something like that. But we kind of got lucky. We uh, fell into more of a training sort of uh, uh, software and, and game sort of design stuff. So a lot of our bread and butter work is doing training um, for instance, we, we've worked with, uh, Pfizer doing clean room environments, and that's where a scientist is in a lab, you know, mixing chemicals and stuff like that. So the idea there is when they train in real life, it's really expensive because they have to shut down an entire clean room, bring people in, uh, they all have to suit up and things like that. So they reached out to us so we can just make that in VR. So you can just throw on a headset. And you're in the same environment, you're using the same tools, you're getting those reps in. You don't have all the exact same feedback, but you're able to kind of 
go through that entire process. So it's more about the steps, the procedure that you do it in rather than how precise you are with certain things, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that that's a lot of the the learning that, you know, they need to kind of get across to people is make sure they follow the right steps in the right order, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah, the actual doing of it, that's a nuance that comes with the actual doing. But yeah, of course. Helps them memorize it a lot better. With so. VR games, when you make VR games, again, I'm, I have no idea how any of the VR stuff works because I don't have one of those headsets. I'm going to assume that when you make something for VR, like a video game or, or a simulation, it basically works on all of the VR headsets, correct? There's not like a Mac system or a Windows system. Uh, yes and no. Um, because there are a lot of different VR headsets, you know, there's like the Vive, the Oculus, the Windows Mixed Reality, and everyone's coming out with new things. We're able to kind of port between a lot of them pretty easily, but depending on how the controls are set up, we have to do a lot of back-end things. Mm -hmm. um, our biggest thing with our current game, it's on VR, but, you know, uh, regular desktop VR. We eventually want to get it onto that Oculus Quest, and that's the standalone headset. You don't need a computer or anything like that, but you have to kind of dial back the graphics and stuff like that to make mm -hmm. it run. Because any video game, it needs to run at, at least 60 frames a second to be passable. So, yeah, nowadays. Current, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, especially in VR, because if you, because of, of tracking and movement, if if it starts going less than 60 frames a second your brain picks up on it immediately mm -hmm. what what frame do we actually run at like the human eye or brain or that's if, a good question like, I'm not sure. <laughs> i always thought it was around like because we have those those monitors right those gaming monitors and most people claim like oh above 144 hertz you don't really see the note the difference and then you have some people that are like no you do notice it because i got a 250 or whatever the fuck and then, like, I do notice the difference. And I'm sitting there like, well, well, I, I saw most of them growing up. Like, obviously, when most games were made back in the day, they had, like, 30 FPS. And then we hopped, hopped on to 59 slash 60. And then now we're, like, for example, playing Rocket League or any other shooting game at 144 hertz. And for me, the biggest jump, biggest difference was from 60 to 144 hertz. So I'm sitting there like, okay, well. Gotcha. Nope. Yeah, I I think it is a little bit faster than sixty frames per second, but that's kind of the benchmark that you want. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like the motion sickness and stuff starts happening usually below sixty hertz because yeah, we were talking well, about this before. Drops. What's that? We were, oh, we were yeah. talking what, about this before. Yeah. Yeah. Once it drops below sixty frames a second, you'll start to feel and notice you know a little slight lag and that, that can set you off real quickly so yeah. what's there's the, a lot what's, of nuance to vr what's the name of your game plug it out right here man uh, people it's know range is hot so it's it's a uh, competitive shooting game basically a lot of the guys in our company they're all hunters and shooters and we've all wanted to get into uh multi-gun multi-guns like a, a real world sport where you go through a course of uh, shooting at targets and you're swapping between pistol, rifle, and shotgun. So we want to try it. But if you want to just learn this sport, you have to show up to the range with 500 rounds of 5.56 ammo, 500 rounds of 9mm ammo, and 200 rounds of shotgun ammo. So 
not only is ammo almost impossible to come by right now, it's extremely <laughs> expensive. So yeah, we, we thought the next best thing is to just build it ourselves in VR so we can play What's it all the time. Why is it hard to get by, bro? You got a huge military industrial complex going on over there. I, I think because of the pandemic and everything, there was like, <laughs> uh, a lot of uh, like they, they, I don't know, pull the reins on production. But yeah, you go to any sports store now and you can't find any ammunition. Wow. Yeah. There's like wait lists and things like that. Because most people make the connection that, you know, oh, pandemic, oh, you know, a lot of the economy getting fucked up, people getting paranoid and buying guns and, and ammunition. That too. Yeah. Really? Yeah, That's like, a real thing? Uh, gun buying was at an all-time high last year. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. That's American, man. <laughs> Look, I'm not against guns. Like, I'm not, I don't live in a country where everyone owns a gun. It's really hard to get a gun over here in the Netherlands. But like, that says something about the mindset of people, doesn't it? It's like... I'd rather shoot and hurt someone than try to fix the problem before it happens, kind of. Right. But it's also this, you know, looming fear of, you know, just everything's going to collapse and now I have to protect my stuff. I don't know. We have it good. We have it really good. I think so. Yeah, definitely. What we're doing right now is a luxury, man. We're living a good life. Uh, I agree, 100%. We should, we should really be grateful. And I, I really thought that the pandemic would really tell people how good we have it over here in the West, you know, in Europe or in America, Canada, whatever. It's like, we can, obviously, we're going to complain, but we really shouldn't complain about most things, honestly. Right, right. <laughs> I know. My biggest complaint is laggy internet. <laughs> <laughs> Woe is me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you own a, a, a gaming company, gaming company, game yeah. developer, game developing company. Mm -hmm. Now you, you did mention you're in the, in the graphics side of it, but I'm still going to bother you with a lot of questions that I have for, about gaming developers, because this is kind of like a dream for me coming through, being able to talk to someone who actually works in that industry. So I'm going to ask a lot of ignorant, stupid shit. And I just want you to be just straight up honest. Just be like Turk, that's a stupid question, but... <laughs> No worries, man. Yeah, fire away. How do you even start? Because ideas are, are plenty. There are 13 in a dozen. Let's say we, we got the idea. We want to do something. What's the first brick that you lay down as a company? Yeah, so right out the gate, you uh, want to flesh out your game design. Um, we kind of have like a document template, and it just runs, you know, it's all just... A document that you're filling out so like what is the main gameplay or idea of your game you know uh it, it gets all the way down into the nuance of like if you want to sell it how are you going to make revenue on it is it going to be like one of those mobile games with ad share but that's you know further down the line just the base idea of the game you kind of want to you know dot dot your i's and cross your t's on everything of what your game will be you know, just so you can kind of, instead of just having a cool little thought for some some bit of a gameplay, you actually think through the whole process of like, okay, if this really was a game I could buy tomorrow, what is everything uh, in here from, from the main menu all the way through? And really on the game design doc side, you don't get down, you don't drill down on the details of how every menu works, but 
you you go through all the stuff you know like is it multiplayer is there guns how many guns yada yada um so once you have that you have kind of a a well-rounded idea of what your game will be and then you gotta jump into actually carving it out um so what we do it's called gray boxing Mm -hmm. it's basically and and it's also called like a vertical slice you basically want to make a quick and rough uh functionality of your game like how that game is gonna work just get the core stuff you don't need art yet you don't need you know any fancy particle effects like something bare bone that is just like nothing fancy just a bare bone prototype basically yeah like if you were going to make rocket league from scratch your gray box would literally be a square room and a box and a sphere and get the mechanic of this guy jumping at the ball hitting that ball flipping and then you go from there because you want to get the functionality first before you worry about any details. So yeah, that's kind of like the launching off point. And then it just gets bigger and messier and crazier. <laughs> Obviously, like when you solve one problem, like two others arise and you solve those two, it's just like four problems arise. It's con- it's a continuous oh, thing. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've worked on games where uh, we were two months into it when we realized that our characters couldn't jump because of the way we had the physics. It was one of these side-scroller kind of uh, fighting games. And so our physics engine had their feet kind of stick to the ground just so the animation, because they were walking up and down these platforms. Um, but yeah, we were midway development, and then we're like, oh, they can't Shit. jump because of the way we've built this. It's like, okay, so... Not totally back to the drawing board, but you know, shoehorning in some different things to make it work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is like a bitch. Like you're so far into it, and you like realize like. But how did it take you guys two months to realize that the character didn't jump? Like that's the that's the first thing I did when I get in the game, just smash the space bar button. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those it's very obvious things. things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we didn't really have any jumping characters until then. Uh, it was it was kind of like a I don't know if you ever played the game Worms. I love Worms. Uh, yeah, it was that sort of game. So you know, you're walking around shooting stuff, and so we had all the oh interactive God. stuff. So it, like you know, Worms isn't really a jumping game, but I think can you jump? You can. Worms? You can jump. Yeah, bro. Yeah. I remember that vividly. I was in elementary school. And I, my, my parents bought me my first PC, and it was a Windows PC from, uh, um, oh, what's the name of the company again? They're, they're bankrupt now. Something with a C, I think. Campbell? Campbell? Something like that. Yeah. And uh, we had to, like, most people listening to this probably won't know unless they're, like, around my age or a little bit older. We had to buy CDs. They were, like, in, a, in this, this album type of thing, like this plastic thing that you open up and had Worms 2 on it. And every time I come back from school, when I was like a little little kid, I, I start that game up. And to start the game, you actually had to put the CD in every single time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I would play that game hours on end because we didn't have internet back then. At least we couldn't yeah. afford it. It's like, wow, I love that game so much. It was Worms 2. Oh, I'll never yeah, forget. That was, <laughs> was so good. That's awesome. You said something about, about physics and game engines. That brings us a little back, a little bit back to Rocket League, because there's now a whole discussion going on, and they they want to move from Unreal Engine three to possibly four or maybe five. 
Now, I know, and I understand, I don't understand, but I know that, for example, Unreal Engine is just this quote-unquote world or this, this literal engine that something's built upon. For example, the physics and yada, yada, yada. It just comes with it and you just put your building blocks on top of there. What, what the, like, what's the fucking big deal? Like, what, what is, like, I've been told that it makes games run more efficient. It makes games run better. You can get higher graphics. So you get more for, for, for basically less performance. First of all, why is it that people with older PCs then aren't able to play something on Unreal Engine 5? And is this really a big deal as it has been made? Yeah, and you know, I've I've seen a lot of that hubbub about please make it in Unreal Five. I, uh, we we develop in Unity. That's another game engine, so I'm not as familiar with Unreal. Um, but as far as I understand, Unreal Engine Five how it handles graphics better. And I I'm not I'm honestly I I don't I'm kind of talking out of my ass a little bit, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the newer, better one, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I, I think it's just that, that Unreal 5, they've, they've made it so it handles graphics a ton times better. Um, I remember watching some of the teasers for how they are coming out with Unreal 5 stuff. And there's this new, I can't remember the name of it. But basically, you can have a bajillion polys in scene, and it run renders it real time, and it looks great. Hmm. And so, I guess for that, it's polishy. I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff under the hood. I'm sure it's probably you know better at networking and things like that. But I don't, I don't see what's broken in Unreal Four, or is it in Unreal Three that it's on right now? I think right now we're in three. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm guessing just a better performance overall. But for Rocket League to make that switch, I mean, it sounds simple, but yeah. you you bring something to the new version, and then certain plugins or certain scripts that you wrote get completely janked up and messed up on the previous version. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna we bring in, on pro it's gonna it's gonna it's bring like, in more trouble right yeah well and there will be like entire teams just focusing on transition you know mm -hmm. um, when we work on projects usually once we kick off a project we have to stick to that that um, version all the way through and even for a year after that project's out just for support and stuff like that because you can't just quickly update and everything runs smoothly that almost never happens with any computer software you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we know but that. yeah i i thought i had seen i was kind of googling in the background i thought i had seen something where uh rocket league does have plans but i couldn't find that article i uh, yeah I oh feel yeah like they I feel like they accidentally leaked it, or it's supposed to look like an accident because they dropped it once, and then it was like everybody shut the fuck up. And then obviously every YouTuber and their man just jumped on the bandwagon of, "Oh my god, look at this leak! Oh my god, look at the exclusive content I have!" 
and I'm sitting there like, okay, but what's the big fucking deal? Right. Yeah, it's still the same game, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's there's so many other things that I wish they would do <laughs> than to switch to an engine. <laughs> yeah, okay, see, the, the, the thing I found, it looks like it was just a teaser headline, because it says, Psionics confirms Rocket League moved to, into Unreal 5, but the actual article sounds like it's just hearsay, so... Love that. Love those yeah. things. Love it. They confirm, said someone on their tweet blog. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I did a terrible job of answering that question, but it's fine. Like at least you don't bullshit people. That's that's I can appreciate that. You're like, hey, I work on Unity, don't know about Unreal Engine. Next question. Right. Yeah, it is definitely something we want to get into. We've been using mm -hmm. Unity for a long time, and it's good for what we do. It's mm -hmm. it's it's uh, pretty intuitive to us. And Unreal is just kind of like a, a new software. We've actually worked on projects in Unreal. Um, we've we helped out um, another Colorado company, Ilphonic. They they worked on Friday the Thirteenth. So. Mm. Since we're also local, Ilphonics also in Colorado, they shoulder tapped us to kind of help them out. So that's got cool. to get my hands dirty in Unreal and also work on a cool game. I don't know if you ever played Friday the 13th. No, but I've seen the movies. Following. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary, man. Definitely. <laughs> well, it's one of I those asymmetrical games where, you know, it's everyone versus Jason. And I love Jason. I was just about to say that. I love Jason. Yeah. And he makes some ridiculously violent kills in that game. Wait a minute. Where you... Yeah. Is that the game that I think you're talking about where you're running from him, hiding and stuff? And it's like, I remember this red over the screen, maybe? Yeah. I think I know that game. I think I've seen It's been a couple of years now since release, right? Yeah. So you're like the camp counselors. You have to... You know, yeah. get the keys to you, the car to escape. You worked on that? Yeah, I mean, just, just some little UI help with it. That's cool. But, yeah, it's That's pretty really fun. Cool. Damn. So, hmm. By the way, now that you say UI, I remember when the, the update on Rocket League dropped, when we went free to play and it changed the UI, and like everyone was like, this UI sucks, it's bad, the user oh, experience is like that. And then we yeah, had a little conversation, you and me. Like, this is actually what you do. And you're sitting there like, oh, my God. Like, I cannot believe that this is happening. <laughs> yeah, and that was one I was scratching my head at. Like, I don't know if, you know, when Epic bought Rocket League, if there was something where they had to redo the UI. But it was just back asswards. I mean, because you couldn't queue in a playlist of modes. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of things that they broke. That were working fine, and it it was just to make it look prettier. I don't know, but yeah, I don't. They're sl they're slowly bringing it back. I'm sure everyone was screaming at them because of it, you know. But I don't mind. I don't mind UI changes. You know, every once in a while, it just freshens things up. I like it. But to me, at least, like from the outside perspective, as 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 a consumer, when I look at things, I'm like, I'm sure you guys test this. Like, literally, no one there from that team try to queue multiple playlists at a time like no one was like oh this might look a little bit ass or 
the very simple right. things. It's, it's a little bit bothersome. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's UI and then UX, and UX is user experience and like things like how easy is it to navigate and find stuff, how easy is it to queue up with your friends. So, mm. yeah, that's a whole nother ball of wax. They both have to talk with each other, but a lot of times UX gets lost in the dust because people are obsessing on how the UI looks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like what other things, isn't it? I'm sure you probably have it as well when you're doing your job. But for example, if, if, if there's anyone in here listening who works on music, it's the same thing. If you're trying to make an instrumental or a beat or like a, or anything, and you listen to something like 30 times in a row in a span of 10 minutes, like I have that with video editing when I edit podcasts and stuff. I listen to something 30 times in 10 minutes, it's all of a sudden it just sounds like gibberish, like plain English sounds like gibberish. It doesn't make any sense. It's like once you're constantly being exposed to the same thing over and over again, it's just like you don't see the most obvious things. Like I kind of understand. Yeah, and that that's a big challenge in UX too because when you're developing the game and you've run through that process to get to that menu, it seems like second nature to you. And then you hand it off. A lot of times when we uh, want to test our game... We do blind tests where we don't tell them anything about the game. We don't tell them, oh, you grab with this, you do that. We just give it to them and let them play it. Mm. And it's surprising the things that you find that seem like second nature to you, like the average user just is completely confused about. So you have to, you know, make sure you listen and, and watch and understand what they're having frustrations with so you can tackle that and change it are these like people in like close circle friends or whatever or is this like an actual team within a company because i don't assume that you can use the same people to do a second blind test because now they're exposed to it right yeah um yeah a, a lot of times especially since we're such a small company we'll just bring in friends or like you know my nephew i'll bring him in to play for the first time but yeah like you said they can't blind test twice you know it only happens once but uh but yeah it's it's pretty interesting how all that shakes out you're the cool uncle with the video games <laughs> right <laughs> that's dope i wish my uncle was cool like that <laughs> yeah I, I get to be the art guy they all look up to me <laughs> yeah it's cool i mean i think you got a really cool job i think it's it's interesting i think it's new it's not something that it was I don't want to say like your job is easy, but it's not as common. Uh, sorry, now it's it's a lot more common to do what you do rather than like 20, 30 years ago. Like when I was a kid, you were you made video games. You were like a walking prophet, basically. Like every oh, kid yeah. looked up to you. Yeah, definitely. That's crazy. Uh, would you recommend people to try to get into game developing in whatever branch it is? Yeah, I mean, if if you have the gumption and the you know if you can stick to it if you are i don't know if you have like an eagerness to to learn how to make games and you like going under the hood to see how they're made the softwares they have now they're getting more and more intuitive like i didn't start out as a game developer i got my degree in animation and i did animation for years um i had a buddy who was working for a game company and he told me they were hiring. So uh, when they were hiring, 
part of the resume process is you have to give them a game demo, like a working, it, it could be a simple little level. Um, and I know I told you this when we recorded last time, like I cut my teeth, learned how to code, learned Unity, and I made like a little watering can game where you walk around and water a tomato plant because this company's uh, logo was a tomato. So yeah, it, it was really simple. I mean, there was, I don't even think there was any score that you got at the end. It was just like, this game kind of works. But with the softwares that are out there now, because back in the day, you, you had to compile code. And like when you compile code, that's where it's kind of checking, making sure it's not going to crash and things like that. Um, and it used to be a long process. Now in Unity, I can just make a quick little change to a script, press play, and then it'll say, nope, error, this doesn't work at all. Or wow. maybe maybe it will. Like, like I want to push a button that will open a door. So I write a little script, press play. Nope, it doesn't work. So then I you know, hit stop, look at my code, make a little change, press play. Okay, it works, but now the door's open in the wrong way. Stop, make a little change. So it's a lot easier to iterate on now than it, than it used to be. So if you want to learn how to, you know, do game dev, it's, it's not incredibly difficult, at least from my side, I'm more of the art guy, animation guy. It's not, I'm not making new stuff. The programmers in our company, they're brilliant guys who just almost invent new ways of. (laughs) I've said this before publicly. I think that if you want to be a programmer or a code, whatever the fuck it's called, with all due respect, you got to be a little bit of a sociopath. Like it's it's crazy. <laughs> like I've seen from from friends who do programming. They've shown me their work, and it is for me, it's like utter gibberish. It's like me trying to read like a Aramaic tablet from like five thousand years ago. It's, just, it's like what the fuck is that? Right. That on it, its own it, looks it, like it a big a, error. Right. It is a foreign language, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, pretty wild i mean and that's that's the thing is like if you want to learn a foreign language you got to sit down and do it a lot you know i've i've tried to learn a couple languages but i never stuck to it if i did it like i got into games i might be able to speak arabic by now (laughs) (laughs) so i don't i think they do nowadays you got studies and courses in, in different branches of game development that you can take, right? So like the programming bit, the artistical bit, or the, the graphics bit, and marketing, and or am I wrong? That's, that's a real thing, right? Um, I mean, if you're going to school for it, they usually are pretty comprehensive on all of it, and if you're going for specifically like game development, it's most likely going to be more on the coding side, mm. but they'll teach you the ins and outs of all of that stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, on my side, just because I have an animator background, I deal all with, you know, the models and games, making them all optimized because to run stuff in game, your, your characters have to be low poly and you have to do all sorts of cheats with normal maps and things like that to make it work. Mm-hmm. Texture atlasing. I don't know if I'm talking gibberish to you now, but no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm actually following you. I hope everyone else is. I'm kind of following you. 
surprisingly, okay. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, and and like like that, you know, there's just facets to every part of the game dev process, you know. Yeah, of course. What do you think of the graphics in game? Like, I'm not sure if you have a personal style. I know that most artists have that. Like, I, I'm, I've got a very good friend, Haddon. He's got a very uh, particular style on which he likes to draw things or or design logos or whatever he does in his free time. If you could have a touch of your own style in rock, like, what's one of the things that really, like, if you have it, what would it be? What would you do? Is there like a car that you favorite because of the way it looks? Is there something that you would like to change? I mean, I, I've always been like a cartoony kind of fan. Oh, so hell yeah. Hell yeah. All, all, all those, uh, I mean, and I think it's like one of the basic shaders on the car is that tune shader. But I, love I, you. I like that sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me too. I love that. There's yeah. this goal explosion, which sounds like those 1940s, 1950s. Cause like, like, yeah. I can't make this. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's my favorite. <laughs> I wanted just... to find that one forever. Yeah, I love it. That's like, for example, in Rumble, my favorite power up to use is like that that, that glove. It's just so cartoony. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cuz I I grew up on Bugs Bunny and all that stuff and that was kind of the cartoons that I really <laughs> loved to do. I think my first 3D animation was a Wile E coyote falling off a cliff. So, yeah, they used to call me Bugs Bunny. That was my nickname. Oh, for real? Yeah, cuz when I was a bit younger, when I spoke, like still to this day, if you like, probably people already notice if they're watching this on YouTube, when I speak, you can kind of see my my two front teeth sticking out more than the rest, and they use like just buck teeth, right? Right in Dutch, it's like they they'd call it rabbit teeth, so they would just call me Bugs Bunny. Like <laughs> that used to be my nickname, but I used to love Bugs Bunny, so I was totally fine with that nickname. You're like I'm down. Huh. Yeah, let's go. He's like, what's up, nice. Doc? Like. <laughs> Start bringing carrots with you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but the, like that's that's one of the things that just never aged. Like it aged. Sorry, it aged really well. Like Looney Tunes, still. Like if you show it to a kid nowadays, they will still love that shit. It's it's timeless. Oh love yeah, it. yeah, it's timeless. Yeah, it's great. Definitely. Quickly get back on the developing bit about video games. I'm very curious about one more thing. Um, what is the hardest? thing to do about about video games just everything encompassing so like i would assume that marketing would be one of the hardest things to do for a company yeah that's big mainly because marketing you need dollars <laughs> uh i mean like with our game range is hot the the main reason we we jumped into making it is because we had some downtime um you know pandemic and everything uh business was kind of slow so we just wanted to make a cool, good feeling VR shooter. Um, but yeah, so we have that out. Um, we're still in early access. I think we're coming close to our six month window that we estimated we'd be in early access. But we have like one more thing that we need to build for it. But getting it out there and getting people aware of our game has been a whole job in itself and i'm kind of tackling a lot of the marketing for our company so uh we're actually going to go to a shooting event this sunday down mm -hmm. down in colorado springs um so i just i've been blindly you know reaching out to different gun ranges because those are the people that we really want to play our game it's not just a shoot 'em up zombie killer game this is like a 
extremely accurate simulation with realistic looking guns and all for sportsman shooters. Mm -hmm. So they're our demographic. I hit up this guy. I was like, hey, I saw you have an event on Sunday. Wondering if uh, we could set up a vendor booth down there. And he got back to me. He's like, oh, yeah, I own that game. It's fucking awesome. Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So we're getting hooked up with that. Um, he's actually planning to have the whole pre-event talk right next to our booth and introduce us. So I was oh, expecting like a trade show thing where we're going to have to like, you know, dangle free keychains to get people to come over. But we're going to be like front and center. So that is dope. Yeah, definitely. That's I'm great. Really, really stoked. What are the chances? Oh, I mean, the chances. Well, no, what are the chances? Like. You wouldn't expect that. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so that, that's that been the tough part of our game is that it's more a niche sort of game. It's I mean, a- anyone can play it, and I think a lot of people would like it, but the people that are really going to like it are the people that know about that sport or are interested in that sport, you know. Of course. So that's been kind of the challenge. And again, going back to marketing dollars, you know, like, when we came out with the game, we tried to do some Facebook ads with, I don't know, different don't, results. I guess. Don't do it. I almost fell in that same trap for my own community, for my own like uh, Twitch content. I'm still thinking about it, but that's just expensive. Yeah, and I mean, even with yeah, your channel, I'm like, I'm sure branching out and how to market who to market to is it's a lot of stuff that is tough to kind of dial down and figure yeah. out i want to ask you something cheeky i want some insider information as someone who who works who's got his game on steam how much intel do you guys have when you make it make a sale on 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 steam how much do you know what's the, can you tell anything about demographics how your sales are going does steam treat you differently like what's all Give right. us something up on the inside. I'm very curious. Steam sales tools are awesome. They, I mean, they, they'll show you, you know, day over day exactly, you know, who's been adding it to a wish list, people that oh. have been buying it. Yeah. And that's actually a big thing. I think it feeds into the algorithm for exposure is like the number of people that wish list it. So when we, we're about to come out with the game. We hit up everyone we knew and we're like, hey, even if you don't have a VR headset, add this to your wish list. It'll help, you know, bump us oh, up yeah. a little bit being a tiny indie developer. But um, it doesn't have as much info on like demographic stuff just because I don't I don't know that Steam collects that sort of data. Uh, they collect fucking everything. They just don't tell you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, their sales tools are great. Um, so we're, we're able to kind of see. And like when we did our little Facebook ad campaign push. Also, if you throw things on sale, you can, you know, look at charts that show how many sales you made during that, how many people wishlisted. I was going to ask, because we see all these crazy sales sometimes on Steam. Well, they used to be more frequent and more extreme back in the day. But do they talk to you guys about it or they just put it on sale and that you get the full amount like how does no, that work uh, 
they usually send us an email blast, you know, like uh, the Steam summer sale is going to be coming up. So if you'd like to put your game on sale, you know, and then we fill out, you know, we, we don't even have to put it on sale, but they just kind of let us be aware of it. So, um, yeah, and we, we did that for the this year's Steam summer sale and we, we we made a good amount more of sales, but like I said, being a tiny indie company, it's it's hard. We want to get yeah. those millions of sales, but yeah, I wish there yet. <laughs> no, like I've seen the game. I've I've you you were kind enough to give me a couple of of, of codes for the game to redeem, and a good friend of mine uh, actually during that time recently bought a VR headset. I was like, yo, hey, listen. I got this dude, he's really nice. He gave me a couple of keys. Here's one, try it out. And like, let me know what you think of it. Obviously, he's not much into guns and stuff, but he gave it a bash. He tried it. He played it for a little bit. He's like, it's a good game. It's just not for me. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And when he streamed that stuff to, to the Discord, so I actually got to see what it looked like. And it's, it's, it's not your Crisis 3, obviously. It's not, it's not the most beautiful game, but it's unique. It's it's right. cool and it works and it's a simulation, and I'm a huge fan of simulator simulator games. I love that shit. So I know when I get a VR headset, the first thing I'm gonna do is play that game, and I mean this. Like I'm not saying it's just because we're on the pod. I mean this. I'm I'm probably gonna spend a good time on that game. I just love shooting nice. guns and I love, I love realism. So yeah, sure. and we're still ranching on it because, like I said, we're still in early access. I mean. Just a little over a month ago, we just converted our entire render pipeline. So it renders better, performs better, and looks better. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, back to the UI, UX stuff, when we released it on early access, I think we had nine courses. Now we have over 45 courses. We also Oof. have like USPSA classifiers. Those are like very specific rule set like you go through these to be in the you the uspsa is the united states pistol shooters association i think is what it is but um like so what yeah. kind of rules are they like don't point at people um, <laughs> they, well for, for those like s- certain courses you have to stand with your hands in the surrender position with your hands like above your head and then Go go into oh. start or other ones. You have to start, you know, with your back to the course, and then once they give the start signal, mm. you turn around and go um, shooting targets from one side or the other. It gets really, really specific, but they're kind of universal classifier rules that you go and run this uh, classifier course in any state. It's going to have the same rule set. So, oh. but yeah, so because. We went from nine courses to 50-something courses. Our menu list, it was just like a list, so you have to scroll forever. So right now we're also working on rebuilding the UI so it's more intuitive and gets you to where you want. Because we're also adding different modes, like trap and skeet. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like I know trap, shot. but it's not gun stuff. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, trap and ski is like shotguns where they they shoot those orange clays in the air. And you have oh, clay pigeons. Around. Yeah, clay pigeons. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, what is trapping yeah. then? Um, it's similar. <laughs> <laughs> I know two types of traps, bro. I know traps with genders, and I know trap like trap houses. 
But I don't know the third one. <laughs> Basically, that's what happens. The beat drops as soon as you pull the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay. I, I know three types of traps. I don't know the fourth one. Sorry. I meant trap houses and drug house, but... Uh, oh man, my coworker's gonna kill me for like not immediately knowing the difference between <laughs> scheme. Guess um, who's staying I, at home after the pandemic? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, I I think that okay, so I th I think it's really the um, positioning in there. So when you're playing trap and skeet for Ziza houses on each side they're firing out the clays okay. i think that trap you're kind of static and um shooting different areas and then skeet you're kind of moving to different positions uh, in an arc okay. i think yeah foss is gonna kill me anyway <laughs> <laughs> what pushes a game from early access or alpha or to beta to full release What's alpha? What's beta? Why early access? Why, when, full release? Like, right? Uh, let's see. Al alpha is just like the first cut of your game, you know, and it's probably still really buggy. Beta is when you're planning to eventually release it. Um, it's kind of a work in progress. You usually. Either do you know a lot of companies will do a closed beta or an open beta. Um, you see open betas for free a lot um, with the big mm. games because they're trying to stress test their servers before they yeah. do a full release. So you'll mm. see open beta for some Call of Duty game or something like that. And that's usually because they're pretty ready to release, but they want to get, you know, thousands of players playing it at the same time across countries to make sure. Their network is robust and stuff like that. Um, the whole early access thing, that's kind of Steam's sort of open beta for developers. So um, when you release something in early access, you're basically saying, hey, this game is in progress. It's not yet done. We want you to play it. Tell us what you think. Um, like with our game, we have a Discord that we always plug when any when anyone buys um, the beta thing. Like, hey, we're on Discord. We're open to suggestions, and that's been a cool thing too. We have tons of shooters that are on there that are always giving us really cool feedback and really cool suggestions for future improvements to the game. So, once you go into early access, you kind of like Steam wants you to kind of give a roadmap of what you plan to have in your game once it's ready for the release. Ah. Um, yeah. So, and it, it doesn't have to be strict. Cause like we, we set, I think six months for our early access, but there's games that are on steam that they've been in early access for years. That's kind of where I wanted to like go towards with the, with the, with the conversation. Cause I've had this conversation with a friend. We had this discussion with a really good friend of mine. And there are a lot more game developers now than there used to be, obviously. And mm -hmm. most of them are, are indie companies. Now, you said it yourself, money is obviously uh, usually an issue. 
games or indie companies pushing for, for example, with with early access or alpha releases or better releases? Obviously, I assume that one of the main reasons to do that is to you know make sales and keep the production going. Yeah. Then, as you said, you got games that have been in beta release, early access, for literal years. And that's why it surprised me when you said Steam asks for a roadmap. So is that them just being like trying to get around the legality of allowing that to happen? Or is it like them actually caring a little bit? It's it's that and they, they kind of want to, you know, build this sort of uh, transparency communication with your potential customers, you know, because you're mm-hmm. more or less getting them to buy the game before it's done. So um they want you to kind of show that you plan to get it done you know um so and like i said i i don't think they enforce it like as soon as your early access time that you said is up they're not gonna like kick you off the store or say nope you have to be fully released Mm -hmm. you didn't have these promises fulfilled so for us with our early access stuff we have almost everything done we're building a course editor where you can build your own courses, but that is a, a, a larger undertaking than we kind of first anticipated. And okay. a lot of it goes into the, the UX of it, like, because it, in a three gun course, you know, there's a, a start button and a finish button. And if you're switching from a pistol to a shotgun, then you have to have a grounding tub because in real world, like if you're, you can't just throw a shotgun on the ground. Once you're <laughs> they, have, <laughs> they have like specific grounding barrels, you know, you have to make your weapon safe and stuff like that. So we're trying to build this course editor so that a user who wants to build their own course can do it fluidly and without too much like tutorialized pop-up stuff that's constantly in your face, you know? I hate that. If you spend more than 10 minutes with me, the one thing I hate the most is is number one, tutorials, number two, racism, like that type of... Tutorial... If you force me to play a tutorial, I will return your game instantly. It doesn't matter. Like, I want to figure it out. If I can't do it, I'll go into your main menu and find it out myself. Right. Please don't do that to people, Sam. Please don't. (laughs) But I mean, it's it's a challenge. You have to have some stuff here and there. I mean, uh, when when you used to stream Planet Zoo, you you didn't know right off the bat that you know you need, uh, I don't know, I can't, I can't even remember all the Whatever, water, job. Yeah, yeah, water or yeah, electricity, things like that. There there was, but they do it really well, and that's that's Frontier that made that game, and they're an awesome company. I don't know if you ever played Elite Dangerous, but that's like one of the best space games I've ever played. I, I but, did, yeah. and I spent too much time on it to be honest. It's right. a really good game, though. Yeah, love it. But yeah, and so the, those sort of games is really what we're looking at as far as like how to hint at a tutorial with without beating you over the head with it. Yeah. So like a pop up yeah. is fine in the corner, like a hint. That's fine, but a forced tutorial, like in Rocket League. You open up the game after free to play. You open up the game. You get into it, and I almost broke my keyboard in half. Oh yeah! I, when they switched to Epic, where it's like, here's how to jump. 
it's like it's, come on man like yeah <laughs> i get it but at least don't force me and then there's the first match and it's like come on yeah and the worst is when they force the tutorial and they limit the functionality of the game <laughs> to force you through that tutorial you know like you can only jump right now you can't turn or roll or anything <laughs> because this is the jumping part of the tutorial yeah that stuff drives me nuts <laughs> just give me the full game yeah just i paid for this i've got thousands of hours on it you can tell i'm an addict just leave me alone let me play the yeah. game <laughs> um, yeah. so you said there's one more thing that you guys want to add to the game before release uh, once that's done are you obviously i'm not telling, asking you if you're going to abandon uh the game but do you guys have anything else planned do you guys want to keep your eye on on the current game what do you what is, what, do you guys have anything cool planned? Yeah, so um, one of the other things that we added to the game was tournaments. So we do like seasonal Ooh. tournaments. Um, is it so online? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. So, so there's like a running leaderboard and, you know, at the end of a, I think it's like a two week stint. So we give everyone like two weekends to participate because right now, you know, we, we have not too many participants, but you know, you get like a little medal and everything, cool animations and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so once we're done with the early access stuff, we'll constantly be having new seasonal tournaments, um, building more courses, um, and more guns. That's that's really like a lot of the big feedback we've gotten because we initially when we started in early access, we had one of each gun type just a pistol, rifle, and shotgun. We're coming close to having three guns of each gun type, which gives you a good variety. But yeah, I mean, especially in the shooter world, they nerd out on all sorts of guns. And, and that's always cooler to be in a virtual thing and like look at, oh, yeah, this is like yeah. a real-world gun. Which it's almost exactly like the real-world gun because we have to modify them slightly. So... We don't get sued or anything. <laughs> That's like, badass. This, get, this looks get... like a Glock, but it's called a Bear Tino. <laughs> it's called a Block. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting we'll sued by just... Smith & Wesson is pretty badass, if you ask me. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, it, we, it's not something we plan to just drop and, you know, give up on. But mm. um, hoping to get past that early access phase fairly soon. So you being in the, in the graphics design of it, so I assume you, for example, make the models for the guns and stuff? Yeah, um, well, I'm working on one of the models of the guns. I I did a lot of like the hand rigging and posing stuff. Um, another of the artists on our team, he's awesome at hard surface modeling. So hard surfaces like that designed manufactured stuff. So he's done most of the guns. Um, he, he let me take charge of modeling one of the guns and it's taking me like three times. Do you guys long, like but... actually get the gun and look at it or use Google images? Like luckily I, I, I own a pistol. That's a very similar one. It's, I don't know if you've ever heard of SIG pistols. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah. So, uh, it's a SIG P320. The one I'm modeling is like this competition one, which is really cool. It has like skeleton p320 is a pretty small pistol right it's not that big it's not not clunky right it's pretty agile it's not, it's not 
Yeah, I mean, it's about it's the a size sports of gun. Yeah, it's a sports gun. Yeah, it's a sport. It's not like like you know, balaclava, run into bank type of stuff, like anything off the streets. It's a sports gun. Yeah, you can add a lot of stuff on that if I remember correctly. There's yeah, a lot of customizations. Yeah. Yeah, and they came out with this one called the Legion, which has like just the stock. It it has a lot of like what the sports guys are using. Because another thing with shooting sports, there's really weird rules like you know you can't modify this or you can't have certain accessories on it and uh so they came out with a legion that has that stock on it so it's not <laughs> modified but it's basically modified stock so yeah it's people always like to bend rules yeah <laughs> get around yeah. Them, I, I i'm one of those people i love that shit it's, uh, it's, <laughs> i do it for the humor I, I find it funny just for my own amusement like not, not just for show but I'll bend a lot of rules just for my own fun. Like I'll just I'll be the only one knowing that I'm doing it. It's just like haha, like haha, got you. <laughs> right. So, yeah, of course. Like if it doesn't hurt anyone, like I don't see I don't see why you shouldn't. This is fun. It's exploring. Oh, totally. I'm a curious person. I, I just love figuring stuff out. I love asking questions. I love listening to people that know more about something than I do. Like for example, with sports guns or or, or range that I I know jack shit about it. I don't very little about guns so this is just really interesting to me i know nothing about game development so i'm just sitting here like like ears peak just listening and enjoying every word that you're saying to me right now <laughs> nice it's, it's very intriguing yeah and um, that's another funny thing with the range stuff too because you know we we built it it looks like an actual colorado range but a gun range in colorado is out like in the plains out in the middle of nowhere and it's just like dirt berms all around with just like weeds and sagebrush so it's not like the most exciting environment so you show it to someone who knows nothing about it and they're like okay i'm out in the desert and then you show it to like an actual shooter and they're like holy hell this looks like a real range like this is perfect yeah and they're like blown away at how accurate it is yeah everyone wants those beautiful mountains and trees and just like birds right. flying around rainbows everywhere yeah, I get we it. did. We did build a second environment that you're in the mountains, and it's kind of moving more into like this sort of fantasy thing because some of these courses are kind of winding in and out, and realistically, that that would be some millionaire's personal range. They they wouldn't have like a real range set up like that. Just you can have that in America. You can have your own range on your own property. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a stupid question. You get to shoot guns on your own property. Of course, a range would be fine. Right. Right. Yeah. I saw this dude, like, oh, my God. You Americans are so fucking crazy, bro. I remember seeing this one dude. Like, There was an article with, like, an actual interview with the dude. My guy actually had a AA gun, like a stationary AA gun, like in fucking World War II, in his backyard, and he had the ammunition for it. I said, like, sitting there in a chair. Like literally bend over, just turning around, like da 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 da. I'm sitting. Is that there, the like, uh, the FPS Russia guy? No, no, no. This was just like your oh. average fucking Joe. Like your average, he had just oh. a fucking AA gun in his in his backyard. And he, and the, the dude interviewing goes, so why do you have that? He goes to protect myself. I'm like, you're gonna shoot a like what is this North Korea? You're gonna shoot someone with an AA gun? Like what are you what are you talking about? 
just say I'm an enthusiast and I'll be fine with it, but don't bullshit me with it for yeah. security. Like, it's <laughs> second amendment right. <laughs> love Action. it. I love it. <laughs> Wild. That FPS Russia guy, what happened to him? I heard he got sick or in jail or lawsuit or whatever. Yeah, I, I can't remember either. I think there was some sort of like law stuff that came at because he was entertaining, man. Yeah. He would just shoot a gallon of water with like a, you know, 44 Magnum. <laughs> that is what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know he was actually full, like fucking American? He was not Russian at all. Yeah, that was like the funniest part of it. It's like, damn, you could have fooled me, man. <laughs> yeah, I really thought he was Russian. He had such yeah. a good accent. It's like, wow. <laughs> Rising. Um, what's one of the most fun things you guys have done? Like, what's the most fun you had while doing your job? Um, I mean, I, I get to do animation stuff. So that's always, yeah, I always find ways to make it more fun, you know? Do you always, uh, like, add, do you, do you sometimes add, like, Easter eggs or just funny things that don't make any sense? And then your, your uh, co-workers like, what the fuck is that? Right. So we actually, we made a Sims game for Walmart a couple years back. Hmm. Um, so it's like you're playing The Sims, but you're a manager at Walmart, you know, having to clean up messes and talk to customers and delegate tasks to people. That was but, awesome. Yeah, so we had to make, you know, an entire cast of just customers walking through the store, like old people, you know, hunched oh. over and, you know, women, children, and you know, angry men and stuff like that. Karen's. Um, but like, you know, with the kids, I would make it so every once in a while the kid would stop and do like the floss dance or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just random stuff that you wouldn't notice unless you're like following the little character around the Oh, story. that's fun. So, yeah, it's always fun to kind of throw those in there. That's great. You know, something's been catching my eye. And for people who are listening on Spotify, you're not going to see this, but Sam has got something in the background. And what is what is all that stuff? Because it's not one of those pops. What, is it, what are they called? Pop sockets? It's not one of those. Oh, but the Funko Pops? Yeah. Someone yeah. bought one for me, and it's been sitting near my ceiling on top of like the highest cabin thing, whatever the fuck it is. And it's not my thing, but those things really draw my attention. What yeah, yeah. So it's all designer toys. I got into it, I don't know, about five or six years ago now. But it's more like artists, indie artists and stuff like that who just uh, get into manufacturing their own toys. and it's kind of become a huge thing. Um, I saw some YouTube documentary on it. And I just got super excited about it. I decided I wanted to make my own toys. I kind of learned how to do resin casting and Ooh. silicone mold making. But yeah, th this is like a tiny set. I think I have what, like six maybe. The bottom two are the ones that, that I've made. But um, can you uh, move a little bit closer? To oh, never mind. Just oh, grabbing one of them. Oh. <laughs> I'll show you. So this is uh, my toy. This is the little crow. He's a little <laughs> gangster-looking <laughs> <That's> dude. <laughs> dope. Love it. Yeah, I, I uh, got, got all into it because a lot of these people, they're also like 
really well-renowned artists just on their own. Like some of these guys are just awesome oil painters and then they get into designing a, a toy or some are like big graffiti writers. This, this is a guy vandal and I don't know if anyone listening knows much about designer toy world, but Vandal is kind of turned into a bit of a uh, pariah because he's starting all sorts of drama. Basically he tried to go around some production companies back to do a collab and it kind of blew up and now he kind of is just throwing middle fingers at everyone, but he's also blown up in the process. You know, he's like selling more than he ever has. So oh, yeah. Yeah, but I just love the design because, I mean, they're like just mini sculptures, you know, but straight up toys, you know. Where can we get those? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of toy stores online that do it. Um, they're like Vandal. What should, I, what should I Google? Like a Vandal doll? Or toy? Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, De- designer toy. Yeah. Yeah. If you just Google designer toy. There's a, a big hub called the Toy Chronicle. Um, and they blog about all of it. They also have a storefront and usually links to like the artist sites and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, after I learned about designer toys, I found this convention they were doing in, in New York and just, uh, hit them up out of the blue. I was like, Hey, I used to serve tables and do catering. You guys need help to volunteer. They're like, sweet. Yeah. Come on down. So went over there mm-hmm. and spent a whole weekend just volunteering and, Got to meet all the people who like run the behind the scenes of all of it. It was it's pretty pretty cool experience. That's something a lot of people don't do, especially over in, here in Europe. It's not very a mindset that people have to just for the experience, just because you like something to volunteer or spend time somewhere. That's a very, in my opinion, at least in my experience, at least it's a very American thing, and it's one of the things I really love about you guys because you guys are very. Um, the way I would describe it is, is, is you guys are very, um, what's the word? You give up something of your own, uh, sacrificial. Like you guys sacrifice a lot to, to spend time doing something that you either like or enjoy, like whatever it is. That's, that's a very big cultural difference that I notice, And I really love Americans for that. You guys have a really good working or, or I don't want to say grind culture. Grind culture is a little bit, I think that's a negative word, but. I really like that about you guys, man. You guys are really go-getters. Like, fuck it. I love that shit. I enjoy that. I'm going to spend time doing that. Yeah, I mean, when I volunteer for this thing and they hit me back and they're like, yes, come on down. I was like, oh, now I have to figure out how to fly to New York and stay somewhere. (laughs) I ended up staying like in a hostel in New York the whole weekend. (laughs) So I was like, whatever. I'm just going to be volunteering. I'm going to spend all my time at this convention. I just need a bed to sleep on at night. Did you feel safe at least at night? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I got like in this hostel, they also have like private rooms in the hostel. So I I spent the extra $5 a night to get my private room, you know? (laughs) But yeah, it was it was a trip, man. And you know, Brooklyn is always a cool place to be. So Oh my you went into yeah. a hostel in Brooklyn? Yeah. And you you're not from New York. Yeah, no. Yeah, but I've we, been there a few times. You and I should hang out. We're gonna have some great adventures because I love that shit. I don't care either. Like fucking go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I was totally naive. I mean it, and that was a funny thing too, when I showed up there. Um, Cause I was just, you know, 
a, a gun for hire to kind of set up tables over here, put linens on this table over here, whatever. Another truck would come in, let's load up stuff here, build shelves. And I'm building this glass case and I'm talking to this guy who's kind of helping me out. It's like, oh, cool. So do you uh, like toys? Do you make toys much? And he's like, yeah, uh, like my Instagram is American Gross and uh, I also own Clutter. And Clutter was like the sponsor of the, des- the whole designer toy thing. So I'm like asking the owner, I'm like, yeah, do you like toys? <laughs> the guy nah, was super, super nice about it. He like calls Kavi. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I make it. Like, I think he was pleasantly surprised at how naive I was. But Oh, that's cool, though. <laughs> yeah, super friendly, though. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there was a there was a video recently on on the internet. I'm not sure if you spent time on Reddit, but there was this this chick from Brazil, and she was visiting Bulgaria for for some reason, and she just pulls up somewhere, and there's like this huge commotion going on, and everyone's circling around this one guy, and everyone's taking pictures. So she gets some time to take a picture. She gets the picture taken. She's like, so like, who are you? You seem important. And dude goes, oh, I'm not that important. Yada yada yada. And the girl keeps asking, like, no, you are important because everyone's trying to get in touch with you, get a picture with you. Dude turns around and goes, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the president of Bulgaria," <laughs> and he's just walking around with just a shirt on. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and he's just like casually walking around, like that's just so rubbing cool. elbows. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's really cool. We have that with the king over here, for example. Like I live in the same city that the king usually resides in, so when I go to city center, like at least once a week, that guy's out there buying ice cream. So you just walk, see him walking around with an ice cream cone in the middle of the city, and everyone's like, "Hi!" He's like, "Hi." Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, I feel kind of ignorant. I didn't know uh, Netherlands had a king. He doesn't do much. He just, you know, he lives off of our taxes and just waves at people. And that's all he does. Eats ice cream. I'm imagining cream. he's wearing a crown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with like this, this cloak on from like leopard skin. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Totally. <laughs> Oh, that's great. It's a casual dude. <laughs> oh, he's nice. He's a friendly guy. Or at least he appears friendly. It's more of that's like a cool. status thing. It's not, it's, not, it's not an actual king. Sure. It's huh. like, um, I think the only royalty that actually has a matter in is the same matter, I think, right now is the Queen of England, I think. I think the royalty died, no? Yeah, it's not a real no. thing anymore. I don't think I would recognize <laughs> any royalty. Other than the Netherlands and, and England, like, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even recognize them. I'd, would, I'd walk straight past them. You wouldn't be getting a selfie with Bulgaria, King? <laughs> like, sure, I'm, I'm like, I'm not talking shit about the president of Bulgaria, but it's like, I've got nothing, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me, you know? Like, right, yeah. Um, it's a whole Sam, other world. What, um, like the pandemic has hit a lot of people. It's it's gotten some people uh, jobless. Some people have actually had divorces. Some people have lost friends. Some people have had made friends, gotten a job, and have actually gotten married, gotten pets. Other people have gotten rid of pets. How has the pandemic affected you personally and, and, and Winter Bear Studios? Has it been more of a positive thing or more of a negative thing? Um, I mean, like everyone else who is a weird rough year uh we kind of we were 
sort of hopeful at the beginning of it because of the nature of the work we do, virtual training software stuff. Mm-hmm. So we were hoping for kind of like an uptick in, in projects. But I think, at least in the U.S., and I'm sure around the world, everyone just pumped the brakes on everything. You know? yeah. So um, a lot of a lot of our, you know, busyness that we were fortunate to have before kind of slowed up. But, you know, at the same time, that allowed us to build our first self-published title doing that, um, that, that three-gun ranges hot game. So that's a good thing to come out of it. Um, it has changed our work dynamic. We always, since we started, it was like seven of us in one big room, like, we really work well together collaboratively, you know, just, you know, having some, an idea or an issue pop up and just being able to turn around and be like, Hey, can you help me with this? Or just ask questions, you know, really good at bouncing off ideas. So having to go remote, there was a bit of like kind of a learning hump to, to overcome, Mm -hmm. but also at the same time we we worked in one of these uh co-working spaces i don't know if they have those in the netherlands but co-working spaces are like a lot of small businesses in one big area so there's like a shared kitchen among like 15 different businesses or something the, like that. they tried doing that but it really it didn't really come off the ground it was like you could hire like two desks in this huge area where there were like 40, 50 desks and you could hire like two desks for like three hours and you could go in there and do your job and get out. And I assume people were like, why the fuck would I do that? I could just go home. Like if, if, right. if my PC or my, my house allows, uh, allows it, I can just do that at home. So it's kind of like faded away. So it didn't really actually happen over here, but I know, I know what you're talking about. Huh. Yeah. So we were in one of those <laughs> places for years, but because of the pandemic, that entire co-working company had to shut its doors. Because really, I mean, sharing an office building is one thing, but sharing an office building with 15 other unknown companies, that's like even more potential for some sort of spread because you don't know where they're from. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so now we're completely remote. Uh, We we still get together sometimes, but um, we've kind of, adapted we're, we're we're back up to you know production pretty close to where we used to be but um yeah it's a little different now it's it's, yeah. it's strange yeah because m- most people don't realize this until they're actually suffering from it but we're very social creatures right yeah and just going out and grabbing that 10 minutes of sunlight is it can really change your day Definitely, which I need to remind myself to do more. Now I live in a basement, so <laughs> I don't go outside. I turn white. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Sam is actually Mexican. <laughs> like, <laughs> all the all the melatonin just, or melanin just seeped out of my body. Melatonin is um, a sleep thing. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, it is different. And like you, you were saying, I was kind of an introvert sort of guy, still social, but now that you don't have that day to day socialization, you're like, oh man, I didn't realize I needed this so much. 
Yeah. So, and it's not one of those things that you are instantly aware of. Like, the, like you're like, there is something wrong. There, I need something. I don't know what it is. And then once you get into a group of people, or like go outside and you see people, you're like, wait, I feel a little bit better now. And it's like, oh wait, I need to socialize. And just doing what we're doing, for example, it it doesn't cut it. It's not. It's not it. It's different. Yeah, to, it's synthetic. Yeah, it's weird. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's strange. Do you guys think that you're gonna stay remote, or do you guys think that after all this stuff hopefully blows over, that you'll go back to the office? Yeah, because um, that—that's another thing. Is like after we gave up that stuff, we realized you know we don't really need it. I mean, the part part of the benefits of this co-working space is like there's a conference room you could grab if you needed to bring a client in and have a meeting and stuff like that. And so those are kind of luxuries that mm -hmm. we've realized we don't really need them. Like we have like a client in-house meeting like once every blue moon, everyone works through the internet now, you know, it's a yeah. Zoom call or whatever. So um, for the foreseeable future, I think we're gonna stay remote. Um, also one of the members on our team, he just moved to New Jersey. So we're in Denver and he's, you know, he yeah, can't I... just, I have, I, I have no idea how big the distance is. Uh, how much we're, is we're in mid middle of the country is on the east coast so that's like, i know where uh, i know where jersey is thanks thank god the joey coco diaz but okay so that's like what 1500 kilometers i think because i think this yeah. is like 3000 kilometers ish that's yeah. a big yeah, that's quite a distance yeah that's it's like a, a five hour plane ride so yeah yeah okay that's quite a distance yeah so but i mean and, and we've talked about that, like, you know, if, if it came to it, we could get an office again. But again, we're, you know, having yeah. to put more money into renting a space where we all have to get up earlier and commute to. And it's it, Colorado has been exploding lately. So there's just rush hour all the time. So driving anywhere mm. is at least 20 minutes in any direction. Like, so. I don't know how expensive it is to rent. Like, I'm sure you guys didn't own the building that you guys were working at, but it's, it's it was probably rented, but I don't assume it was cheap. Like, for example, over here, if you want, like, even in an industrial area, if you want to, like, rent a building with, like, let's say five or six different rooms, a small kitchen area and a bathroom, like, that can hit five figures very quick monthly. Very, very quick, quick, yeah. That's, yeah. that's very expensive. You got the light, good gas, you got, you know, um internet you got all the other utilities it's it can get really expensive so it's like production doesn't really uh, drop down to, to to a halt and if if, the, if the, everyone working there is happy and can fulfill what they need to do it's like maybe we don't really need it for work right yeah yeah so yeah and uh, you know because of the lesser busyness that we had you know we were able to save that rent money and put it towards paying ourselves keeping, yeah keeping our own lights on yeah exactly that must be stressful though like owning a game company man Damn. it is a bit definitely yeah it's being an owner of anything is something i never thought i'd be you know and yeah, for sure here we are five five years later mm -hmm. it's going well though and with our company it's it's pretty cool because when we started it we kind of decided we're all in on the ground floor so let's all be owners i've had plenty of friends who've come up to me and said 
you know, seven owners in a company is not a good idea. You want one, maybe two people who are the owners. I said that to you when you first mentioned, I was like, you don't want to start a company or own a company with more than three people because two of them will yeah. gang up on you and kick you out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all get along still. Good. Knockwood. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a knock on wood for you as well. I hope everything goes good. I hope everything stays good. That's scary yeah. though because... I've I've got a business background as well. Like my dad used to own two restaurants. He was a bookkeeper in Turkey. God rest his soul. He's unfortunately passed away a couple of months ago. But I was always brought up with like, be your own boss, do your own shit, earn your own money. Like don't make other people rich. Like you know, that kind of mentality. And when I went to business school, uh, my my dad always got it in my hands. Like oh, like finish your school, let's start a company together. Whatever it is, now you know. I can help you with my experience and you can just be your own boss and decide what you want to do. And uh, I, I, I came at a point in my life where I was like, okay, I want to start a company. I, I basically sealed the loan. I got that figured out. I got, I got that promise. I got written on paper. I got 250,000 euros just like ready to pick up basically. And uh, I decided what I wanted to do. I wanted to open like a lunchroom where we sell like healthy sandwiches and uh, paninis and just everything healthy but affordable and on paper it worked i i, I got a hold of all the wholesalers all the products and all the equipment figured everything out i was just looking for a spot to rent and uh, the first place turned me down second place second thoughts i didn't want it and then i just forgot about it i was like you know what it, there is something about this that i don't want to do i'm just not going to do it so i stalled it and my dad's like listen you got to do something either you're going to get your own shit or I'm going to get it and just force it on your name so you're responsible for it. And then around that time, I started with, with the Rock League coaching just for fun. And then that just like disappeared, the idea. My dad kind of let me go. He's like, okay, he's young, probably trying to figure something out. Two, three years later, the fucking pandemic hits. And I see all these businesses that did exactly what I wanted to do or in, that, in the same branch, just like shutting doors. Oh, like putting up signs on their on their door, be like, "Listen, we're not gonna open for another six months, or we're closed forever." And these are companies; these are these are stores that used to do sell sandwiches for the past fifteen years. Like they're yeah. not small things. Like, wow, I dodged a bullet there. True, yeah. Restaurants were hit the hardest out here, man. It was a weird time for sure. Um, Very scary. And I mean, restaurants in general is a tough business to get into you know like yeah all, all the overhead just to start up something like that but huh so you almost pulled the trigger on it and i i almost did it and like looking back on it now like that would have really ruined my life hmm. like i gotta pay back to 250k and then i've made expenses and then it's a lease contract i'm stuck on that building for another two years at least gotta pay rent yeah. every month it's like that would have been terrible. Yeah, yeah, a loan like that would yeah. have me quaking in my boots, man. That's yeah. one of the things with our company. I mean, we we never took a loan until last year during the pandemic. They had those uh, it was the PPP loan in in America, which was like kind of a, a forgivable business uh, payroll loan. So that was like the first time we ever took a loan, but it's because of the um, COVID stimulus out here, um, it's a forgivable loan. So 
we don't mm. have to pay back the crazy amount. But it wasn't a crazy amount of money we took out, but it sustained us. So good. That's the most yeah. important bit. What does the yeah. future hold for for Winterbury Studios? And what does the future hold for you? Because I assume you're just happy with your job. I don't. I don't think you're gonna leave. Yeah. No. Def- definitely. I'm. I'm loving our company and where we're at. Um, hoping to kind of get this, uh, you know, ranges hot game a little, a little further along. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said earlier, when we built it, we just really wanted a good feeling shooter. Um, that's also why we focus on a target range. Eventually we, we have ideas for like a full fledged shooter game that we want to oh. do, but then, no. um, we're going to have to focus more on AI and enemies and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. But those are also larger production things. Yeah. I, um, I assume so. Yeah. So with range is hot, we knew we could control the entire scenario because it's, you know, mostly static targets. There, there's some moving targets and stuff like that, but it's not nearly the complexity that it takes to make a running gunning sort of shooter but our guns are awesome i think it's i i'm biased as all hell but i think it's the best feeling gun i've ever shot in vr so (laughs) we built that tech we have that and now we can like move to the next level of of building a full-on shooter so man i'm excited for you i don't know what it is is, it's so cool to finally talk to someone who's like in that business just telling you all these things because it all looks so simple from the outside. It's like, oh, just a gun. Oh, just a dude. Oh, just a building that you walk into. But it's like so much more. It's like, and it gets even more, um, uh, more intricate as technology evolves. Because now you got light oh, shades, yeah. you got this, you got that, textures. Yeah. Back in my day, we had like CS. Was it Source one point six? Whatever. It's like. Minecraft looks better today, you know what I mean? Like, oh, totally. yeah. <laughs> and that was like, yeah, oh my god, it's like real life. Yeah, like a lot of times, I'll I'll just in a game like The Division or something, I'll just walk through an alley like really slowly just to kind of take it all in, just because the yeah, like you said, the lighting and the texture, and I mean, in that game specifically, I saw a mouse fighting with a crow over a piece of bread Damn, it has nothing to do with the game but it was like fascinating to just sit there and watch this happen <laughs> it was i mean insane but that's triple a games man yeah our shooter probably won't have mice and crow fights <laughs> do you we'll appreciate see. other games more when you're when you're in that industry Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Like, and again with the UI stuff, I'll I'll nerd, I'll pause and unpause a video game like twenty times just to see like, oh, see how it like folds out and shows the menu buttons. And, yeah, seriously, I'll spend way too much time on that stuff, but oh, just because you appreciate like what it takes to to have that level of interaction or bring that to the table, you know? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, <laughs> I love it when games do uh, do things like you said, like with the, with the crow fighting the the rat, or like small Easter eggs. Just just like catch your eye, and you're like, hold up, is that 
so and so because like in that uh what's that game uh road my, my friend played this game was it road 96 or road 86 or whatever it's a, it's a story driven game so you like make decisions and it just impacts the game and you've got to replay it like five or six times with different people and uh one of those things they just hint towards current politics for example and they make like these vague uh like they point these fingers towards like oh it might be trump or it's like it kind of looks like trump and you're like sitting there like is that like are they having a go at like the u.s politics and stuff and you sit uh. there like there's a high problem i love those subtle things you know the small details in games it's like just have right. to catch your eye and you're like you cheeky motherfuckers like <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> Love, love that it. stuff. Yeah, like in Rocket League, you have that with on the on the farm map. If you get it underneath one of those those stands, you see two of those eggs making out with each other. Oh, for real? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I need to check that out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you got a replay in that in the, in that map, just go into one of those stands underneath it with the flight camera, and you'll see two eggs making out with each other. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like say. When I started playing Rocket League, I nerded out on the stadium fans and all the environment around it more than I did the actual game. It's ridiculous. <laughs> What's your favorite topper? My favorite topper? Uh, so my game character is I'm Date Mike from The Office. And he wears like that backwards Kangol hat. So that's, that's my go-to topper in that game. <laughs> I love The Office. <laughs> It's one of the funniest it's, shows out there. I love it. Yeah. I just started another lap on it the other night. <laughs> I think I've watched that series, I don't know, at least eight times. <laughs> Me and a I buddy how- used to go and do trivia nights for The Office. Make oh, really? I'm sure it's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a really good show. It's really fun. It's dry here, man. I love how they fuck with him. Uh, what's that guy? Dwight. How they fuck oh, with yeah. Dwight constantly. Like, Dwight and Michael <laughs> are by far the best characters in that show. I love that show. Oh, 100%. Yeah. They're yeah. great. Yo, Sam, do you want to slowly draw an end to it? Sure. Sounds good, man. Okay. You got any shout outs, any social medias of yourself, Winter Bear Studios that you would like to pop out there? Yeah, I mean, range is hot. We're still in early access. Um, so that's the biggest thing that we're trying to plug right now. It's If you have VR, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, my my own stuff, which I haven't kept on. I'm, I'm Crow Pickle. Um, let me see if I can find a sticker. <laughs> well we're on a podcast so it doesn't really matter we can always put those things in the description right. that's no problem at all so there's crow pickle oh my handle. god <laughs> <laughs> you made that thing yourself <laughs> didn't you oh yeah definitely that's my design buddy but yeah crow pickle uh i'm on instagram uh i just got to work on the meow wolf denver building with some friends i don't know if you ever heard of meow wolf but no it's a cool like psychedelic interactive art exhibit sort of thing they built a five-story building in denver and me and two of my buddies we we got to paint this giant mural on the outside so oh shit yeah so if you ever come so you paint as well it's not just digital art yeah yeah cool motherfucker 
spray paint a lot of stencil stuff so oh really oh shit yeah. now you really got my attention fuck we gotta talk about that <laughs> next time that's really cool For sure man Definitely. Oh, that's really cool yeah i'll have to show you some pictures of the mural oh Let's please do see what you think yeah oh yeah okay uh thanks for coming out everyone thanks for listening this was sam cordell said it correct this time there you and, go uh, thanks for listening thanks for watching catch you guys next time peace uh, thanks peace